Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Water Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast, but this is also our Christmas Advent series called The Promised King. This time of year, I love for the fact that people all over the United States, as a matter of fact, all over the world are singing praises to my king. Maybe he's your king. But this time, they may not even know they're doing it, but they're worshiping the Savior. This time of year, we're going to do a series on Advent as we celebrate the coming King. I hope you enjoy this series. Tune in over the next several weeks as we talk about the promised King. I talk about, and you, you all know because you've been around me enough, that I talk about when we read the scripture, that sometimes we read it as if it's just a, a fable or a, a story. And we lose sight of the revelation. We lose sight of what God is trying to tell us in our moment, right? And I think sometimes we lose sight of the excitement of the true meaning behind Christmas. Now, I know we all know it's the time we celebrate the birth of Christ, right? But sometimes we even take that for granted, right? We, we even lose the moment, not granted like the kind that we cut and put in houses, right? But... Uh, countertops and stuff, but we lose we lose the significance, the fact that we're celebrating the very change in history, the very moment in which everything changed for you and me. This is the most significant occurrence for you and I that was a happening going all the way back. To the garden. Something that was set in motion going back to the fall of man when they messed it up for you and me. And I'm going to highlight some things today going back to the garden and pointing to a promise for you and me. And we started as of today our series, our Christmas series, our Advent series, as I defined earlier, the celebration of one coming, a significant person coming. We're going to look at Advent and this series that we're calling The Promise or The King Promised. And I want us to remember some things. And I think it's interesting this time of year that even the heathen are praising the king. We walk into stores and people that don't even profess Christ, that don't even know much about Him or even want to live their lives for Him or singing about Him. Not even realizing they're doing so. It's such a cool thing. We've got schools that won't even talk about Him, sing about Him this time of year. We've got Christmas programs and all kinds of things. Mind you, we have a local community trying to ruin that right now. But even though that's the case, this time of year people are lifting up and magnifying the name of Jesus and not even realizing they're doing this. And it's such an awesome time that we have going on right now. But I want to look at the ones for a moment that seem to have possibly ruined it for all of us. Have you ever, of course, I, I know of a scenario for a graduating class for 
a local high school where some students went on a trip and ruined it for the future. (laughs) But have you ever been where one group of people or one person ruined it for the whole lot of them, right? That one apple, was it one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? Well, let's look at this one or two bad apples that spoil it for the whole bunch. If you can, I've got most of this scripture uh, that's going to be up there, but it would be awesome if you can follow, follow along in your Bibles and you can highlight and mark and take notes today. I don't have a message, you know, I typically give you five or six or two or three points. This isn't one of those. I'm just going to tell a story and get somewhere today. I don't know how long this will take. We're just going to get there together. Can we go together somewhere today? So go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this will be our primary text this morning as we look at something. Now, in, the, in this portion of the Bible, we've already got the creation of the world, the United States. Woohoo! Wow, I got to wake up. We've already got the creation of the earth. We've got the garden has been established and relationship between man and God has been firmly formed. God has seen that Adam should not be alone and he's made a help meet for him. Wow, I got to get my brain together. And Eve is on scene and they're getting along quite well. And Eve is now at this point walking through the garden. And that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 3 in Genesis. And it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I could get into some big discourse here and talk about some significance of what's just happened about how we tend to put more restrictions on us than what God has really put upon us, because God did not say she could not touch, he just said they could not eat. It's an interesting concept here, and we can dive into that at a later date when I'm talking about something else, but she further talks about or goes on in this conversation and says, you shall not eat the fruit that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. Interesting right here where it says who was with her. Sometimes we think she's walking alone, but he was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Pause for just a moment here before we continue reading on in the story. We've got something set here that we can read into just a little bit. We're not going to add to the scripture, but we can 
through proper deduction, through reasoning and understanding, we can read between the lines just a little bit, and we can understand something about the relationship between Adam, Eve, and their God in this moment. And I cannot imagine how they could be deceived in such a momentary situation of encounter with a serpent, a snake on the ground, because in this verse 8, it says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And can you only imagine what their relationship with God must have been like, that he would meet them walking in the garden in the cool of the day. When was the last time that you woke up and it was the cool of the day and God met you in physical form to walk with you and to converse with you in a garden or in your backyard or or just going on some kind of a walk around your neighborhood or some kind of an encounter that was that tangible with God? When was the last time you encountered the true reality of the very manifest presence of God to this extent in your daily walk with Him? I would venture to say, including myself, not one of us have had that kind of an encounter with the living, breathing nature of God. But it is here where we see that God has gone to meet Adam and Eve in this very manifest presence. And I can only imagine that they must have had some kind of a real physical tangible relationship with God on a daily basis some kind of a walking encounter with God because it's interesting that not only is it this real but he has gone to meet with them when was the last time our relationship was so strong with God that we were already in a position where he came to meet with us where he showed up just to meet with us. But then he asks an interesting question. He asks them, where are you? You think he asked this question because he had no clue where they were? You think God approached the scenario and walked in the garden and was like, I have no idea where they are. I'll holler out, Adam, Eve, where are you? Do you think maybe he was asking a question in a manner in which they would in this very moment ask themselves a question? Were they personally? Were they internally? What has happened to them that yesterday they walked in relationship with God and today something's different? Where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? Where is your position in connection with me? For moments ago, we could be face to face, but now something has drastically changed. And the man responds to God in a scenario whereby man has never been trained to respond this way, but yet he does, and it can only have come because something has crept into his life and has changed the whole scope whereby he responds to the very nature of God. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, 
and I was afraid. What a sad moment. For the day before, there was no fear. Moments before, there was no fear. And here we have Adam and Eve in the garden. God enters the scene and fear, something they've never experienced before, has entered the stage. And he goes on to say he was afraid because he says, I was naked and I hid myself. Have you ever been in a scenario in your life where you knew God was drawing him or you to himself, but yet you were dealt or dealing with so much shame, so much filth within your life, that even though you knew he was drawing you to him, you did not feel worthy enough to even encounter what he was drawing you to, so you resisted that and you hid from what he was drawing you to, even though you knew that if he drew you to him and you entered the scene... What you did didn't matter. He was still wanting relationship with you. But yet all you saw, all you felt was the filth, the wretchedness upon your body. Therefore you resisted what he was drawing you to and you missed out on something that God had for you. And in verse 11, God says something so profound, so real, but yet so loving And I believe it was a moment in which God encountered Adam and Eve in a way to set them free of something that had happened in their lives. He says this, Who told you you were naked? God didn't. He didn't show up and go, Oh, 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 what are those? What's that? Oh my goodness, I'm so embarrassed. He says, who told you you were naked? And then he says this, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? I want to look at that word, that phrase just a moment. Who told you you were naked? You see, as believers, as people seeking after the heart of God, as those of us who want the most that God has for us, we've got to set ourselves up so that that we can protect what voices are surrounding us, those influences that are invading our lives around us. We've got to make sure that it's important to protect those voices that influence our identity. Who is telling you who you are? Who is telling you can do or can't do what you can or cannot do? Who is influencing the decisions that you make? I think we should always be evaluating our friends, what we're watching, what we're reading, who we're spending the majority of our time with. I just recently was reviewing a series that I taught our youth group several years ago. I called it Relation Slips. I was talking about relationships with our teenagers. And, and uh, as I was looking at one of our points when it came to deciding if the relationship I am in is of God or not. And one of the questions that I asked in this series was this, do I want that person's relationship with God? 
Think about those that are influencing us and are in our lives and looking at Now, we're not judging. We're not being critical and harsh. But we can ask ourselves, look at that person's relationship with God. Do I want to model that? Do, do, uh, do I want to be like that? Are they making me more like Christ or are they making me less like Him? God says, who told you you were naked? Who told you you were filthy? Where did this shame come from? And in verse 12 it says, the man said, the woman who you gave to me. God, it's your fault. She gave me the fruit and I ate. So God, really I ate because you, you, because you. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. In verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the fields of uh, beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust shall eat. You shall eat all the days of your life. This is the curse to the serpent. But I want us to look real closely, and I'm going to get spend a, a couple more minutes. I don't want to spend it right here because I'm going to get there. But verse 15 says, but I will put enmity, hatred, strong, detestable hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, for just a moment... One of the things that we overlook so many times when reading the scripture is when God promises things and we don't even notice. You see, in this very moment, God has promised you and me something. In talking to the woman, God has promised something right here. Maybe I'll do it right now. When I get to this in my notes, I'll I'll highlight it again because it's so cool. But when God says, I will put hatred between you and the woman the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring shall bruise your head. Isn't it interesting that when we study the lineage of Jesus Christ, it goes back to the woman? Isn't it interesting that the offspring of the woman is the one, Jesus Christ, who's the one that puts the end to the destruction of the enemy, the serpent, Satan himself? You see, in this very moment, it will go towards looking at what God does through the prophet Isaiah, through Jeremiah, through the many, many prophets, through Hosea, all the way up until we see the coming of Jesus Christ. It is foretold right here. God says in the very, very beginning, I'm going to send you someone that is going to do something miraculous and take out the enemy, take out the one that has caused all of this destruction, all of this deception, and he's going to come from the woman he shall bruise the head of the one that has done it all I promise you today in the very beginning there's something coming better he doesn't mention his name but it is Jesus right here he begins the process verse 16 to the woman he said I will surely multiply am I still coming through Okay, to the woman, I will surely multiply. Okay, sorry, I'm getting excited. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, listen, in pain you shall bring forth children. 
Your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. This right here is the foretelling of the beginning of the plan. Then he goes on and he tells everything that Adam's going to deal with. And then skipping to verse 21. I know I just skipped a bunch of verses there, Abigail. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. You see, God had a perfect plan for man to live with him in perfection in the garden forever. And when the serpent told man that you will never die, he lied to them. For in this instant that sin snuck in, man could have stayed in the garment. We'll read this in just a second. Well, let's just read this right here. Therefore, the Lord God said to him in verse 23, or sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out man at the east of the garden of Eden and placed the cherubim of flaming sword and turned every, turned every way and the, to the guard the way of the tree of life. You see, what happened here is man could have stayed in the garden in sin and ate. And live forever. But what happened when sin snuck in. Is man began to understand the perils of sin. The pain of sin. The disgust of sin. Everything that sin happened. And this is something I want us to understand with sin. All of the negativity. All of the pain. And hurt. And the gross things of this world. That we experience today. Is because sin entered the world. Murder. Adultery. I mean, I could list a myriad of things. Think of the encounters that have come against you, the hard things in your life, what someone may have done to you or done to a loved one. And then you say, but why didn't God rescue me from it? He could have. But if he rescued you from it, listen to me here. Online, listen to me. If God rescued you from somebody else's actions, it would have gone against his very nature because he gave that other person free will. And to control that other person, even in their sin, would have gone against his nature of giving man free will. And let's be careful. Let's be careful not to confuse what God allows with God's will. You see, all of this sin and corruption that has entered the world, God allowed because of free will, but it was never part of God's plan. It is not God's will, but it is God allowed. Are you following me? So, the curse of sin was allowed by God, but it is not God's will. So, why does good things, why do good things happen to bad people? Because God's not, not going to control somebody else's free will. Isn't that a hard pill to swallow? But He's loving, He's kind, He's caring, He's all knowing. 
And here's what I do know about my God. That just because bad things happen to you, in the midst of the storm, he is with you. He's a healing God. He's a nurturing God. He's a helping God. And even though we are experiencing the ramifications of sin in somebody else's life or our life, he is still good through it. Isn't that something to think about? Isn't that powerful? So my takeaway from this very moment, this just this last couple of minutes, is what God allows versus his will, they are not synonymous. But I want us to understand something about sin, and we find this in Romans 6. This is what's happened. You see, Adam and Eve could not stay in the garden and live forever understanding the ramifications of sin, the pain of sin. In God's goodness, he put a lifespan on man. Death is part of God's goodness. I know this is hard for me to say. It's, it's something that's blowing my mind as I was seeing this yesterday. Death is part of God's goodness because he couldn't have man live in the destruction of what they have caused through sinning. Romans 6, verses 20 through 23 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things in which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Before I read this next verse, You see, God put a plan in motion. That plan comes to pass through Jesus Christ where sin led to death, but Jesus Christ gives us eternal life in him. It's a different plan. It's a different garden. It's a different perfection, and it's in a different eternity. It's a different plane, but it's the same kind of walking with God as he intended in the garden. He had to send a new Adam. He had to send a new perfect man. His name was Jesus. He was the king promised. All the way back to Genesis 3. And he would bruise the head of the serpent. He would be the offspring of woman. And verse 23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. There might have been a change in man's perfect relationship with God when death entered. But because of Christ, we are brought back into the moment in which we get to have that perfect relationship with God again. And life enters our life again. Life enters, yeah, eternal life enters our our being. We get to encounter it again. So let's look at the promise revealed. I talked about it in Genesis 3 with the serpent and the bruised head. Let's look at Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore it says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and she shall bear a son. She shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
It's an interesting, the, the promise wasn't fulfilled through man, but through woman. Right there, we have a continuation of the promise that we saw in Genesis chapter 3. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Of course, there's no one born of a man. I get it. I get it. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you know you are no longer slaves, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So let's see it come to pass, shall we? Let's look at it together as it comes to pass. I could read many more Old Testament prophecies of the coming king, of the Messiah, of the one who would come, born of a virgin. I could describe in detail what it would look like, how he would walk and how he would die. But let's look at him coming. Matthew 1, 18-25, these are not up there. Verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this all took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did just as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until the day, or until she had given birth as a son, or birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Mary's account was very similar in, in Luke 1, 26-38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And, she came to, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, I tried discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great among, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relatives Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son, and in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. For God, all things are possible. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You see, all of this was set in motion from the very beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, when God cursed the serpent, 
But, you know, when we read Genesis chapter 3, we could have expected that God's story for man was over. You know what? I've just created two. I can wipe them out and I can start all over. Or I could just choose not to do this again. This was a miserable failure. I want to read this from one of my favorite books to read with the kids when they were younger, with Abigail especially. And it's from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I want to read this to you from a really neat perspective. Listen very carefully. But before they left the garden, God made clothes for his children to cover them. He gently clothed them, and then he sent them away on a long, long journey out of the garden, out of their home. Well, in another story, it would have been over, and that would have been the end. But not in this story. God loved his children too much to let the story end there. Even though they knew, he knew they would suffer, God had a plan. A magnificent dream. One day, he would get his children back. One day, he would make the world their perfect home again. And one day, he would wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God loved his children with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And though they would forget him and run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss They would miss him and long for him. Lost children, they yearn for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and the sadness and let you in here. I'm coming back to you. And he would. One day, God himself would. And this is how we return to the garden. There's only one way. It's through Jesus Christ. Who would come. Who would squash the serpent's head. As was promised back in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to close with this scripture. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin. Who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I'm not enough unless you come. Won't you meet me here? Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in Northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts, but also in the area of support. If you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at WLMiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I.com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.